Good morning, Miss Yeo. Um, your scripture reading today is Matthew 25, 31 through 40. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him will sit on his glorious throne, all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Amen. You may be seated. Would you pray with me one more time as we enter into the story? Jesus, today as we look at the practice of welcome, would we first be centered on the reality that you are a God who welcomes us? Your story is one of you moving into the universe to make a home for your people. It's one of you pursuing and chasing to lay a table. It's one of you crossing every barrier and division in order to create a new space in which we belong to one another and to you. So God, as we hear that declared and as we practice at the table, would we become a people of welcome who extend the same kind of grace and reception that we receive in you to everyone around us, friends and family and strangers alike. God, make us like you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome once again, everybody. We are currently in a series entitled The Missio Day. And throughout this series, what we're doing is exploring our communal identity. What does it mean to be Missio? What does it mean to be a local church? What does it mean to be us? And what do we think that God is up to in the world around us that defines us, that shapes us, that calls us into a life and a vocation with God? And we've said a few things over the last couple of weeks that I think are helpful to re-articulate. And the first thing, and maybe the most foundational thing that we've said and will continue to say throughout this series, is this, that God is on the move. That we believe God is already on a mission to bring about the renewal of all things in the world. That as we read the story of the Bible, or as we look at the church, or we look at history, or we look at our own lives, God is the first agent, the active mover, the one who is at work ahead of us, before us, in us, around us, and behind us. Our job isn't to fabricate the movement of God. It's not to manufacture God. We don't even carry God uniquely into a new space. Instead, the invitation for us is to join what God is already doing in the world around us. God is at head seeding the kingdom, and we get to enter into that work and participate. We are invited to join God's work as God brings about the renewal and healing and restoration of all things. 
So that's the first big idea, the one that we continue to come back to over and over again that grounds us, that centers us, and that drives the conversation that we're having. And in the last couple of weeks, what we've been exploring is a question of, well, how do we participate? If we believe that God is on the move, if we believe that God is up to something around us and before us, as we have just said, how do we join God's work? Because it can feel a bit ethereal or ephemeral to talk about the renewal of all things, to talk about joining God's work. And so how do we get our hands on it? How do we get our lives in it? How do we make it concrete and not just a theory or an idea, but an actual practice? And so what we've been exploring is practices. Practices that are like postures or habits or approaches that, as Heather said a couple weeks ago, help us wake up to what God is doing in the world around us. Help us align our lives with what God is doing in the world around us and help us curate and tend to and participate in the thing that God is doing. Last week, we compared it to a garden. You cannot make a garden grow. I don't know if you, well, I can't. We can't make a garden grow. Something happens. I'm not a scientist. I've all soft science degrees is what they call them. So I don't know what's happening in the dirt. Something is happening. Seeds are germinating. Things are growing. You can't force that to happen. You can't make anything grow, but you can tend to a garden. You can pay attention to the growth that's happening in a garden. You can cultivate what's happening in a garden. You can weed and carefully and diligently water. You can go and look and pay attention as shoots begin to grow. And you can begin to understand what does it look like for me to join in on the growing that's happening in here and care for the growing that's happening here and curate the growing that's happening in my garden. Practices are similar to that. We don't make something happen. God is already on the move, actively at work in us and around us. But practices help us pay attention to see the growth that's happening. They help us tend careful, diligent watering and attentiveness to what it is that God is doing. So far, we've looked at two such practices. The very first one was the practice of explore. This is a practice of paying attention. We spend a lot of our lives not paying attention to what God is doing. And I think so much of it comes to we think God's going to show up in certain kinds of ways or we have certain expectations centered around what God is going to do. And then if we look at the story, what we find is God is always doing things that defy people's expectations. And so exploring is the habit, the practice, the posture of limiting our expectations a bit so that we can pay attention to what God might be doing. And then last week we looked at the practice of gathering, of being with one another, because we believe that as we are together, Jesus is uniquely present to us. Today we're going to look at our third practice, third of five practices that we work through as a community. And today's practice is the practice of welcome. The practice of welcome. The practice of welcome is about receiving. So opening our lives, our homes, and our hearts to one another. And it is rooted in the biblical concept of hospitality. Now, hospitality might evoke a lot of different ideas in your mind. When you hear the word hospitality, a lot of different images or notions can come to mind. You might think about like the restaurant or hotel industry, like business hospitality, which is a kind of hospitality. Maybe you think about throwing really cute dinners in your home or tea parties, which is also a kind of 
hospitality. Maybe you think about my Pinterest board that I know you follow. It's pretty good. (laughs) Hospitality tends to evoke certain images, certain ideas in our mind, and all of those things can be a part of hospitality. So hear that. Cute dinners, tea parties, that can be a part of hospitality. But the biblical concept of hospitality presses us into something a bit deeper and a bit more challenging. The Greek word for hospitality is a cognate of two words, philo, which means love, and xeno, which means stranger. Hospitality means the love of strangers or to love strangers. There's another word that you might be familiar with that sounds like it, that we still use in its Greek form today, which is xenophobia or fear of strangers. Hospitality is a direct challenge to our normal, natural, cultural understanding of others, that we are normally afraid of letting into our lives strangers and aliens and those who are different than us or those who we don't agree with. And hospitality at its deepest biblical core is an idea of pressing against our own impulse to be afraid of strangers, to close ourselves off from the other, to distance ourselves from people we are unlike, and it is to move towards them, to love them, and to welcome them into the most intimate, vulnerable, and uncomfortable places of our lives. Hospitality. Love of strangers. Hospitality is a practice that was deeply embedded in the life of the early church. A friend of mine uh, is a scholar named Fred Ligon who runs a ministry based entirely on practicing hospitality in local churches. And he writes this, and I think it's really helpful. He says, The early mothers and fathers of the Christian faith practiced a way of being that welcomed others with relational embrace, including strangers. They believed, I love this moment, that transcending socioeconomic and ethnic boundaries by sharing a meal, by sharing homes, and by sharing worship with people of different backgrounds was a significant identity marker of the Christian faith. Not just an addendum, not just a subplot, not just some nice idea that comes with the gospel, but it was actually a core identity marker of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, is that you welcomed into your life people who were not like you. That this would be a marker of who we are as the people of God. And it took root in amazing ways in the early church. There's this very funny moment in the fourth century where a Roman emperor named Julian is complaining about the growing Christian movement in Rome. And he says something that I think would be amazing to have accused of us today. He says this, why do we not observe that it is Christian benevolence to strangers, their care for the graves of the dead, and their pretend holiness of their lives that have done the most to increase their atheism. Rome considered Christians atheists. I love this moment from the Emperor Julian complaining about early Christians. Why do we not notice that it was their benevolence to strangers, their care for the graves of the dead, their pretend holiness, their welcome, their embrace that has sowed the seeds of their faith in the world around them. The practice of hospitality continued to define so much of the life of the historic church. 
And one of my favorite examples comes during the medieval period in the practice of Benedictine monasteries. We're doing a whole journey through church history here today. I hope you signed up for that. And the Benedictine monasteries had a, a way of life, a rule of life is often what it's referred to in a monastery, a, a code that guides and that shapes collective life together. And for Benedictines, hospitality was one of the core concepts of life together, that you welcomed strangers into your home. And what that meant is that in the medieval period, Benedictine monasteries became like the closest thing that people had to hotels or hostels. If you were a sojourner or a stranger or a refugee or just someone traveling on the road, you would look for Benedictine monasteries because you knew they couldn't throw you out. They had, it was their rule of life. They had to welcome you in. They had to feed you. They had to care for you. It was how they functioned. And the way that the Benedictines describe hospitality, I think, is beautiful. This is the way the rule is inscribed. Let all guests who arrive be received like Jesus. Oh, I love that. Let all guests who arrive be received like Jesus. I think this gets us so close to the heart of biblical welcome. It is the practice of receiving one another, of receiving others, of being received like Jesus. And not just receiving in the way of Jesus, though I think that's true. Jesus gave us a way that we follow. I don't think he just means receiving in the way of Jesus. I think this also includes receiving guests like they are Jesus. The biblical practice of welcome is to receive like Jesus in the way and in the personhood of Jesus. That receive like Jesus might take some work. I think we need to see a little bit differently, think a little bit differently about God, about self, and about others. And I think the best place to start to ground us in a practice of biblical welcome is with this first idea, and that's this, is that we are a people who are called to practice welcome because our God welcomes us. Because our God welcomes us. Our God is a God of hospitality, of homemaking. This is true from the very first page of the Bible, and I think all the way to the end. Genesis 1 is more than anything. Before its debates about creation and evolution, it is first and foremost a story about God making a home for people and calling it good. And say, so, yeah, I'm going to live here with my people in unity and in relational proximity, and we will enjoy this world together. And in Genesis 3, we see that world and that home is violated and abandoned. But as soon as it is, God pursues his people and says, I'm still committed to this homemaking mission to creating places in which you belong and in places which we belong together. Last week, we read from Ephesians 2, in which Paul says this, which I think speaks to God's homemaking mission really beautifully. This is verse 17 and 19. Paul says, when Jesus came, he announced the good news, the gospel of peace to you who were far away from God and to those who are near. 
older and younger brothers alike, near and far. So now you are no longer strangers and aliens. Rather, you are fellow citizens with God's people, and you belong to God's household. The good news of Jesus' mission is that he's speaking peace to those who are near and to those who were far. That's a story of welcome, a story of reception, a story of return, a story of reunion. It is a good news story that God is at work making a household in which you and me and everyone in between might find a place to belong. It's why we gather at this table every single week to remember that the heart of our story is a God who lays a table for us. God has provided a seat at the table for us. As Jesus' apostle Peter said, once you are not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you didn't know where you belong, but now you belong. God is on a mission to reunite, to restore, to welcome. That's what God is up to. And because our God is a welcoming God, then we are invited to participate in God's welcoming work around us. The Apostle Paul kind of out of this same idea in Romans 15, verse 7, says this. So because you have been welcomed, welcome each other. Welcome each other in the same way that Christ also welcomed you. Why? For God's glory. Because you have been welcomed by Jesus, welcome one another. And it is interesting that Paul adds into this moment this phrase, for God's glory. You know that like a Bible writer is getting like hefty whenever they throw that word in there. Hefty. I don't even know what that means. For God's glory is always the way in which someone is like, you want to pay attention to something, you want to do something, you want to feel like this is important, they're going to add this language into it. Welcome one another. The way that Christ has welcomed you for God's glory, or to say it different, to declare God's goodness, to make God's name known, to show the world or tell the story of what God is like, welcome one another. Because you have been welcomed, because you have been received, because this is who and what God is like, then our worship is our practice of welcome. The way in which we as a church worship, and there's lots of ways we worship, but what he's saying here in this moment is that welcome becomes one of your primary acts of worshiping and participating and glorifying God. Scholar Christine Pohl has a really beautiful way of saying it. She writes, a life of hospitality or of welcome begins in worship, with a recognition of God's grace and generosity. Hospitality is not first a duty or responsibility. It is first a response of love and gratitude for God's love and welcome to us. Welcome is a response to the welcome that we have received. As the writer of 1 John says, we love because we have been loved. Or as Jesus tells his disciples, Love one another in order to show that you are my disciples. 
welcome in order to show that you have been welcomed. And as we love and as we welcome and as we receive, we declare the goodness of God. We tell that story to the world. So we welcome because we have been welcomed. We welcome to tell a different story. But this text that we had read for us this morning by Lowe from Matthew 25, it has something else that's happening in it too. We welcome because it's what we're supposed to do. We welcome because it's good and it's right. But this text has some other deeper, you know, hefty things going on in it. <laughs> Look at Matthew 25. I'm going to start in verse 31. This is what Jesus says. He says, Then the king, he's talking about himself, will say, When I was hungry, you gave me food to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. When I was naked, you gave me clothes to wear. When I was sick, you took care of me. When I was in prison, you visited me. Then those who are righteous will reply, Lord, when did we see you in any of these ways? Hungry, and when did we feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you in? When did we see you naked and give you clothes? Jesus responds, I assure you that when you have done it for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you have done it for me. You have done it for me. What? When you welcome someone, you do not just declare the goodness of God. You don't just glorify Christ, so that's true. You don't just respond in worship, though that is true. Jesus is saying in this moment, when you welcome someone, you are encountering me. The thing you are doing, you are doing for me. Not like it was for me, for me. I think this is so important for us to understand as we talk about the practice of welcome. Because oftentimes, when we talk about practices like welcome, we can talk about them in such a way as we are the hero of the story. We're always the host, right? We're always the host in a position of power, welcoming someone else into our home to give them something because they are in need in some way, because they need help in some way. But imagine, if you can, that you are about to host people in your own home. You're welcoming them into your own home. You think that they are in need, and then all of a sudden, just to use Jesus' story, Jesus happened to be there. Who would really be the guest in that situation? And who would really be the host if Jesus showed up in your house? I don't think it would be you. I don't think it would be me. And yet Jesus says this is exactly what happens when you welcome those around you. The king of the universe is in your midst. What you do for them, you do for me. There is kinds of welcoming that are worship, that are responses to the generosity of Jesus. 
But there are also kinds of welcoming that are manipulative and self-serving. This is true of most Christian practices, that we can turn them and twist them for our own agenda and our own purposes. You've probably been to a party that didn't feel like it was really about you being there, but it was more about what you offered or about how you could be used. Maybe it was like a networking event. You're like, you're there, but it's for somebody else to make some money. Or I'm here, but it's because like, I'm gonna, supposed to buy something. There's nothing wrong with that. These parties are fine and they're important. But it's not really biblical hospitality. Because welcoming in the story is about mutuality. So recognizing that I do have a gift to give, but Jesus might show up. And who's the real gift in that moment? Where is the real surprise in that moment? True welcoming is about giving and receiving, seeing the gift that is the other person, because in the other person we have an encounter with Jesus. So an important part of welcoming is seeing Jesus, because I think as we look for Jesus in this way, dynamics are disrupted. Our hearts are prepared and our expectations are shifted. We might encounter a king in this moment, and so we better be ready. There was a couple years ago where uh, it was like during the most intense parts of the COVID-19 lockdown. So things are locked down everywhere, and we're not doing services, or maybe we're doing 25 people services at the time. I don't know if you remember, um, recently we had a pandemic, and uh, (laughs) And it was was during that moment, and if you were living in this area, something happened to a lot of social services where it just felt they were a little bit less accessible to folks who are socially dislocated or who are experiencing houselessness. Libraries were closed, and so kind of like normal safe places weren't as easily accessible, and COVID was spreading airborne, and so people were uncomfortable being really closely connected in like a small room, like a shelter. And so in neighborhoods like ours, we saw much larger movements of houseless folks just kind of looking for a safe place to go, a place to sleep, a place where they're not going to catch COVID during the moment of the pandemic. And I would come to the building most days, like, just to be around, like, just to be present, to hang out, um, to work here. Also, I didn't know what else to do because it was the pandemic. So I felt like I had a job if I could just, like, show up. And there was a season where I would get here almost every single morning, and over by the office side door, there was a couple who would be sleeping kind of, like, under the roof that we have there, sleeping at the door. And we had this like little routine most mornings where I would see them sleeping and I would walk up and then I was their alarm clock, which is, you know, everybody loves that. Uh, (laughs) I would wake them up. They're always very kind. Uh, They would start to clean up. I would go inside and then they were amazing. They would clean up their own space. They would then kind of like walk the whole building and clean it up. Sometimes they would ask me for brooms and like trash bags. They would clean up the whole space. They're like a delightful couple. And they were here for months, like two, three months, like a really long period of time. So we got to know them. We would just talk, just really liked them. And they were here. And I remember, so remember that. And around the same time, we were having some very difficult conversations as a community, I think in part around COVID. 
And Heather and I would have to get here um, at like 5.30 in the morning once a week to have a meeting. And it was never a good meeting. Uh, it was always hard. It was always tricky. Not because anybody was bad. Just like, it was just hard. It was like a hard meeting. And I remember one day, we were in that meeting, and it was particularly rough, probably for everybody involved. Like, I'm not, I am not coming out of that meeting the hero. It was rough for everybody. And I remember feeling so deeply discouraged. Like, what? What is the point of this whole thing if this is the kind of meetings I have to sit in? Like, what? like why are we here? This is no fun. <laughs> and I, I remember feeling this way, and I walked into the office space and looked out the door, and normally I would have been able to see the couple sleeping, and they weren't there. The space was cleaned up. And there was a note that was pushed through the mail slip. We have like an old school mail slip. And there was a note that was pushed through it. And I went over there and I grabbed the note and I opened it up. And it was super simple. It was from the couple. And it said something like, hey, thank you for being so kind. And then in the note was a $5 bill. And I just wept. How unexpected of a moment of grace. Like you were in a meeting, like I was in a meeting that it was supposed to be, no fault of anybody, but it was supposed to be a place of grace. It was supposed to be the expected environment in which you would encounter Jesus, these like Jesus-y people, in which you're supposed to receive that kind of Jesus-iness from one another. <laughs> are, you tra- are you tracking? You're supposed to have this kind of encounter with one another, and yet it is demoralizing, and it is emptying, and it hurts, and it sucks. And I leave that space. I walk into the office, and I see this note, and it was the most startling, beautiful gesture of grace. Thank you for being kind. Here's the truth. I don't know that I had been. Like, you know, I don't know in what way I earned that. I didn't get them off the streets. Like, I didn't, I didn't rescue them. I didn't, like, I would still ask them to move every day. Like, if anything, I was unhelpful and unkind. And yet in that moment, the encounter I had was one of just startling generosity. And the real gesture of kindness was not from me, It was most certainly from them. And if anybody was rescued in that moment, it was me. The practice of welcome is like that. It's the practice of being surprised by the encounters of Jesus that you have in places that you or me may not expect. It's the practice of receiving gifts just as much as we give. The practice of opening our hearts and our lives and our homes to others and the possibility that as we do, we might be entertaining the king of the universe. And so would we be willing to be a bit surprised by what God is doing? Now, that doesn't mean that welcoming is always an easy practice. I, I don't want you to hear that. Welcoming is maybe the hardest of all the practices because it means letting into our lives real human beings. And I don't know if you've met a real human being, but they're rough. 
I love that in Matthew 25, verse 37, the folks who are talking to Jesus, they have to ask, they're like, hey, when did we see you a stranger? And I love that they asked that question because it means that no one looked like Jesus when they were practicing welcome. No one clearly and visibly was the king of the universe that you might encounter. No one looks like Jesus in the welcoming. That's the surprise. Hospitality or welcome, it does not always look good. It does not always feel good. The people who welcome us and the ones who are welcomed by us can have, probably will again hurt us. It's like when you have a dinner party in your home. It's just kind of guaranteed that you have a friend who's going to break something. I know who it is, you know? <laughs> you just know. Jordan and I have started buying just like bulk wine glasses because we just know they're going to get broke. You know that something is going to get spilled on the rug. If you, have a, you host people enough, you get a ruggable because you're like, I'm just going to throw it in the wash because they're coming over and something's going to happen. When you let people into your life, when you practice welcome, there is always a risk involved. A risk of broken wine glasses and plates, a risk of being vulnerable, of exposing yourself to the other. God never promised that parties would be safe. Just that there would be parties. That's how the parable of the prodigal son ends. The father invites the younger brother into the house and he goes out into the field to invite the older brother. But it's very risky for the older brother to enter into the party because his younger brother is there. The guy who hurt him, who abandoned the family, is in the party. And Jesus never says it's going to be safe. He says your younger brother's inside. He says there's a party that is happening. It is a risk to expose ourselves. It is a risk to host. It is a risk to welcome. It's a risk or an act of faith. A practice of enacting our faith that as we go with God, we are joining God's work of making a family. Christine Pohl, who I quoted earlier, has this very beautiful way of summarizing it. She says this. It's a little longer quote, but I'm going to read the whole thing to you. She says, As a way of life, an act of love, an expression of faith, our hospitality reflects and anticipates God's welcome. Simultaneously costly and wonderfully rewarding, hospitality often involves small deaths and little resurrections. By God's grace, we can grow more willing and more eager to open the door to a needy neighbor, a weary sister, or a brother, a stranger in distress. Perhaps as we open that door more regularly, we will grow increasingly sensitive to the quiet knock of angels. In the midst of a life-giving practice, we too might catch glimpses of Jesus who asks for our welcome and welcomes us home. In our practice, we too 
might catch glimpses of Jesus. What if, Messiah? What if we were to practice welcome? What if we knew ourselves received and welcomed by God? And what if we joined God's work around us in extending God's homemaking mission to each other and to the world around us? What might happen? Well, we might glimpse Jesus. We might have an encounter so surprising, so unexpected. What if? I miss you as we close. I just want to ask you three questions coming out of that bigger what-if question. Just take these three, wrestle with them a second, and then bring them with you to the table as we gather there. And here's the first one. How can we practice welcoming and welcoming each other here in a Sunday? I feel like this was a helpful place to start this question because there's parameters around a Sunday. It's like an easier place to practice something than sometimes like the more ambiguous territory of our homes or our lives or our workplaces or our everyday life. I believe that Sundays are a place in which we are helped in practicing. That's why we gather here, why we come to the table, so we can have a place of practice. So how could we practice welcoming one another here, even today? Question number two is that moves out of us, right? As we begin to practice here, as we begin to walk it out in this space, learn the steps, maybe you could say. How can we begin to practice welcome in that like second place of our life, whether that's home churches or change groups or maybe with your family or friend group? The people you know, they're maybe not as much of strangers, but the people you know, but where like you really are starting to wrestle with real life. How can you practice welcome in that space? And then finally, how can we practice welcome at work or in our neighborhood or in other like everyday spaces of our lives? I think these are the places that we most frequently encounter strangers. It's also where practices tend to start to feel the hardest to live, but they are also the most essential to be lived in these places. And so how can we practice welcome everywhere else? I don't have an answer to that question for you. It's to come from you and from your story and from your context and your place. So would you take those three questions and then bring them with you when you're ready to this table? Every single week we gather here to remember and to practice and to experience the truth that we have been received by Jesus, that a table has been laid and a place prepared for us. So, Missy, as you come here, remember that you are welcome, that you belong. As you practice and taste and see and maybe even glimpse a little bit of Jesus, 
It begins to shape you and form you into a welcoming people who extend that invitation everywhere you go. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, would you welcome us today? Would you help it like seep into us, that we are received, that we are welcomed, that your work is homemaking, that you are inviting those who are near and far, that there's no barrier, no division, no thing that can stop us from belonging. As we sing again, as we come to this table, would that work its way into our heart? Would we know ourselves invited and received? And as we taste that generosity, taste that reception, taste that welcome from you, would it then form us into a people who bring that same gift everywhere else that we go? That same division-removing, barrier-tearing-down welcome that you've given to us, would it move through us and in us to our workplaces, our families, our neighborhoods, the people sitting next to us in these seats? people we're going to drive home with, and even to ourselves. God, thank you that you welcomed us. Help us welcome one another. In your name we pray. Amen.